to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey slutty scholars guess what my birthday is tomorrow friday june 2nd and i want to remind you all about a free live event that i will be speaking at my friend katie sampaio founder of thrive life coaching and retreats has gathered 10 incredible experts including me to share with you our best tips tricks and strategies to help you ignite your passion uncover your purpose and empower you to thrive in every single area of your life so come celebrate with me as i talk about sex magic aka using pleasure as a way to create the life you want and increase confidence. It's not just magic. Research shows that having a pleasure and play practice has a bunch of benefits that are necessary to our well-being and survival. If you want to learn more and dive a little deeper with me, make sure to snag your free spot at the Thriving in Purpose Masterclass tomorrow, June 2nd. I'll be speaking at this event with nine other powerful experts to teach you in just one day how to create a life filled with more purpose, joy, connection, and more. Just go to rebrand.ly slash Let's underscore scholars. Don't worry, I will have the link in the episode description, but that's rebrand.ly backslash sluts underscore scholars to register now. The link again is in the episode description, but I am excited to see you live tomorrow for my birthday on June 2nd. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't even keep a straight face. Um, This is my favorite place I've recorded. We are in a... We are in a Chinese wedding bed from the 19th century. Yeah. Check out some of the clips because it's beautiful. Um, I don't even care that we're a little far away from the camera because we're just like perfectly positioned. Um, but let me and, introduce our guest. <laughs> Welcoming this week, Pam Schaefer. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, musician, and host of the Why Not Both podcast. She's also my friend. Uh, she likes crafting surreal sonic landscapes with her synthesizers, reading books in every corner of her beautiful home, and drinking cold brew with reckless abandon while creating a better world for her fellow feral neurodivergent humans. I like that. I'm like, who wrote that? That I was like, wait, it was me. (laughs) I'm like, wow, that's so accurate and strangely alliterative. (laughs) Okay. So uh, I like to start out this season. uh, Then I want to get into neurodiversity stuff, which is going to be, this is going to be a fun podcast. So if you are someone who fits into that, massive category with us it's a big umbrella buckle up for a ride ella (laughs) ella a 
<laughs> yeah, we're just going to fully <laughs> lean into that for this one so we can really normalize the way that this shows up in a beautiful way. Um, but before we get to that, um, I'm asking everyone this season what the most pleasurable thing they've done lately is, which could be Ooh. best sex you've had, any kind of sex, or something else pleasurable. Mm. Anything that has felt particularly delicious lately. Mm. I did get to show my partner my favorite show from when I was 11. He'd never seen the (gasps) X-Files. When we were talking about we need to watch this. And on my birthday, I got to show him the X-Files. And just like one, I was really excited that something that I really liked when I was younger for different reasons, like stood the test of time. And I appreciated it through like a totally different lens as an adult. So that was like really pleasurable. Mm -hmm. But also seeing something that was so meaningful to me, like through the eyes of someone that I love so much, I was just like, oh, this is so good. (laughs) And then hopefully you had Scully Mulder role play sex. Oh my God, I wish. Now, now I, I think he probably just saw my face like as it dawned upon me that that was a possibility. I was like, oh my. I dressed up as that for Halloween one time and it was, it was nice. I do feel like that show is both like kind of my like esoteric awakening, but also my sexual awakening. And that I'm like, do I want to be both of you or be with both of you? Do I want to witness both of you? Just both of you. I like both of you. (laughs) (laughs) Something. Did you start at the beginning of the X-Files? We did. We watched the pilot episode. Wow. Like we went all the way back because at first I was like, oh, I'll pick some of my favorite episodes to show them. But then I was like, there's so many layers. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, no, we got to start at the beginning so he has context. So if I do kind of cherry pick, Mm -hmm. he he at least has something to hang it on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you specialize in all sorts of things, including sex therapy, folks in ethical non-monogamy, kink, um, but also a lot of folks who have neurodiversity. Um, So I'm wondering, like, how do you even really define neurodivergence or neurodiversity? And how do you see it showing up in relationships? That's a big question. Mm -hmm. Then we can talk about how we both show up in our (laughs) relationships. Um, So I kind of fell backwards into specializing more in that because I found that the people in the populations I was serving were coming in with either like diagnosed neurodifferences, like whether it be like sensory processing or ADHD or autism, or people were coming in like asking about relational things and about sex things and kink things. But there was a lot that was coming up that at first I was like, oh, is this all attachment based? Like what's going on? But the more I learned about like how particularly ADHD and autism present in um, not cis men, um, not to dunk on cis men, but there's different presentations in different populations. The more I was like, oh, a lot of this actually has to do with that. Yeah. And so it kind of was one of those things where I was like, oh, the Venn diagram, it's not quite a circle amongst those things, but it definitely, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Um, And so that's why I started then looking at how does this impact relationships? How does this impact attachment, particularly around sensory needs, particularly around, you know, like even the idea of like love languages, like expressive and receptive. So for instance, if you're having like, say you're with a sensory seeking partner and you get easily sensorily overwhelmed, that can lead to like, there were some things that even in discussing like desire differences, it actually came down to sensory stuff. I was like, mm. oh, some of it's non-concordant desire or arousal, but some of it is like, say you are very sensitive <laughs> to your sensory experience and your partner's sensory seeking. 
I like that you call it sensory seeking because I feel like people often call it like the more touchy feely one. Yeah, it's uh, it's very um, like no judgment, just fact. Sensory seeking. Yeah, like some people are going to regulate their systems by seeking more sensory input, and some are going to be more sensory avoidant. And also, there are times when that will flip, or there Mm -hmm. are certain situations in which that'll flip, or even certain senses where that'll flip. Yeah. And I was noticing that coming up again and again. And then same thing with attachment, particularly around ADHD because of the dopamine inconsistency. Oh, say more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm listening. You're like, yes. Hello. Hello. It's me. me. (laughs) I'm the problem. It's me. Not a problem. Just, you know. I, I'm only quoting Taylor Swift. I, I realize that I speak in song quotes constantly. Me too. It's usually songs people don't know, though, because I only listen to things from like before 1995. Excellent. I'm an old, so this pleases me. <laughs> My top artist for the last four years on Spotify is Tears for Fears. Oh, that makes me so Four happy. years running. That makes me... Um, mine, embarrassingly, was uh, Pink Noise. <laughs> They were like, congratulations. Not white noise, pink noise. Pink noise. It's mid-range frequency. It's my favorite. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Okay, circling back. So circling back to to ADHD and attachment because of dopamine inconsistency, a lot of times it can look like just across the board, all sorts of different, what I would call um, maladaptive attachment behaviors. Okay. Where you might, for instance, be seeking dopamine. And so you might message someone a lot, particularly someone novel. Mm. And then the more you get to know them, it's not that you dislike them. It's not like you're like, oh, the more I get to know them, I don't actually like this person. But the dopamine the hits dopamine, aren't as strong. Exactly. And so then the other person can get really confused. Why don't you like me anymore? Exactly. And so it looks like either fearful avoidant or it can look like anxious or avoidant, depending on the person. Um, but most of the time it does look kind of like fearful avoidant where you're like, like me, but from over there, but like me more, but oh no. (laughs) Yeah, more cat-like. Yes, yes. And so once you start understanding more about your own behavior in that realm, you can be like, oh, is this limerence? Am I seeking dopamine in this behavior? Why am I communicating with this person in this way? And it's not that you should stop yourself from communicating. Mm. It's more that when you understand that you're using it as something to regulate your own system, yeah, that you can then be like, oh, I need some other tools to regulate this. Yeah. You yeah. use the word limerence. So limerence is a state of almost like chemical obsession with another person or mm-hmm. thing where it's that you're obsessed with the concept of the person or the fantasy of the yeah, person. Yeah, the beginning stages usually. Yes, yes, where you can kind of impose your your ideas on this person and that can also bring a lot of dopamine, norepinephrine, energy, all of that fun stuff because you're engaged in this fantasy. But that person is so good. They're oh, just the best. I know. For the first like month, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You could be anybody. I call it the cupcake phase. Why? Because they're sweet and they don't serve a purpose other than being delightful. <laughs> <laughs> they feed me. Exactly. Like, you're not going to be like, mm, yes, cupcakes for lunch. But you're like, cupcakes. Well, some some of our neurodivergent listeners oh, have that's cupcakes true. for lunch for sure. That's true. <laughs> I have eaten some things for lunch that are dubious. <laughs> Okay, so let's say you're in a relationship then where you are a more sensory-seeking person and your partner is more sensory-avoidant when they're activated. Yes. How? How do? How How do do we do? do? Um, One, having having things in your arsenal 
for which you can sensory seek outside of your person, great. I mean, first, I think it's knowing it. Yes. And the knowing isn't everything. I think it's the tip of the iceberg because insight doesn't equal action. And so even if someone logically knows it, it's still frustrating, hard, tricky. Yes. And I have found that using using your words is cool. Pam <laughs> <laughs> <Pam> Schaefer. <laughs> words. Using your words it is, is cool. cool. <laughs> um, like I found, for instance, I I sensory seek in some ways in that I will seek out certain textures or certain sounds on my own, but I'm extremely alarmed by spontaneous touch. Oh, yeah. Freaks me out. Um, and I've learned that the best way to deal with that is if my partner says, I want to hug or I want to cuddle or is in my line of sight mm-hmm. and like physically gestures to me. Or if I want to hug, yeah. I like zombie arm at him where I'm like, <gasps> I am ready. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> so being able, exactly where I'm like, I have grabby hands, come here. Um, so being able to give your partner a heads up. Yeah. So at least maybe the person who is more sensitive to that can prepare themselves and also they can accept or decline. Mm-hmm. Um, I rarely will decline once I'm prepared for it because once someone that I love is like, I am going, I, I, I want to hug you. I get excited because I like hugging that person, but it's a split second because in my mind, the very first thing I think is, mm. no. and yeah. then I, <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and not a sexy, more of a goblin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remind me to send you this TikTok about goblining. Oh my, I think I've seen that TikTok. <laughs> yeah. For folks out there, it's like a, a little clip that um, I call it like the ADHD zoomies. Yeah. Where like all of a sudden you're just like, oh! <laughs> like I need to bing, 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 bing. And you need to like run around or like, like a dog, right? All of a sudden it seemingly yes. comes out of nowhere, but something is excitable to you and you just like, can't contain the energy yes. but there's this woman on tiktok who posted something and she called it goblining it's so right? it's i think it was on. goblining where she's like sometimes you just want to like <laughs> i love that we're in like the most sensual locale and we're like hey. is that not sensual does this not turn you on are you not into this <laughs> you know for listeners long time listener of the podcast you know that i love david bowie's the labyrinth that yes. was my sexual awakening so goblins are I remember being Sensual. confused about what was in the pants, but I wasn't that concerned. I just wanted the rest of the everything. I was yeah. like, there's a lot Daddy happening Jareth. here. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, you can kidnap me. I don't have a baby. But like... <laughs> I'm the baby. <laughs> I am baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes, when you are when you are approaching, approaching. So you have a goblin reaction. I have a goblin reaction and internally. <laughs> and then I remember, wait, I love my partner. Um, and then once I'm in the midst of the hugging, it's great. Like that's the thing is if I have a little bit of prep, yeah. things go so much better and a little can go a long way. I think some of the sensory seeking people, like I wonder what they can do in those times because... Um, I've noticed sensory seeking folks can get sort of obsessed with this idea of spontaneity. Yes. Right. And that sort of tolerating the patience or the time for your maybe non-sensory seeking or less sensory seeking partner to catch up with you. And it feels like, yeah, it can feel really rejecting and it can feel really, um, yeah, lonely. 
Yeah, I would encourage, if anything, to focus on the positive outcome of when you give your partner that time, you do get the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, like to reframe of just like, it's so much fun when I get that thing. Mm-hmm. So if I if I do it this way, I, I get the thing that I like with yeah. a much higher frequency. Yeah. <laughs> like- I've talked about this on so many podcasts lately, but just like reiterating, it's so interesting that humans like find someone oftentimes who is their opposite. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, where it's like, I'm sensory seeking, you're not, or vice versa. And like at the beginning, maybe we don't notice those differences and then yes. you notice. Well, and also like when you're just starting to get to know someone, like for me at least, and what I've observed in like clients and friends is that sometimes those little things you can kind of override because you're excited and it hasn't right. happened that much. The limerence like, phase. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Whereas like the buildup of those things over time, once the novelty has worn off, that sometimes when people's preferences become a little clearer mm-hmm. um, because you might have overrode something or you might have been like, oh, well, I guess yeah. I kind of like this, but right. I, I'm not really paying attention to it. Um, and then once some of that novelty wears off, those patterns become clearer. And that's when you're like, oh, oh, that actually does bother me. Yeah. Um, and it's not that it bothers you because the person is bad. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting what you said about spontaneity, mm-hmm. because I find there's so many narratives in our culture about that, like spontaneous is, is the best. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I attribute, I don't know about you, but I attribute this to the fact that, and if you don't know what spontaneous versus responsive desire is, I'll try to put a link in the podcast description that for some episodes that talk more about this. Yes. Um, but this is what we're talking about here. And most of the, this is changing now, but most of the older studies on sex and desire um, were done by cis men and testosterone-driven folks, sometimes that's cis men, sometimes it's not, but testosterone-driven folks are more likely to have this spontaneous yes. desire. And so a lot of the older research, that the, the old research that was saying that like men like sex more than women, which isn't true, it's just often different languages or types of desire. Yes. Um, I think it's because of that, right? So we're yes. seeing, well, that the people who want sex, this is how it looks. And so that's the ideal kind. Like I have a lot of clients who that's just not their framework and they want to be able to get there as opposed to like respecting the way that they actually work. Yeah. Cause I like, I think it was in come as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the explanation that Emily Nagoski gave, but the analogy I use, and I think it came from the book is that, you know, like spontaneous desire is more like you're sitting there and you're like, mm, I want a pizza. Whereas like, responsive is if someone says to you, would you like to go out for pizza? And when the idea is planted, you're like, oh, heck yeah, I love pizza. Mm -hmm. But like, you aren't usually going to maybe out of nowhere be like, pizza? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a lovely intrusive thought and I remembered that Fox Mulder was on your podcast. (laughs) It was... uh... How it, did we not talk about that when you brought it back? So good. You were just saying this like really important thing about therapy, and I just got an image of like David Duchovny was on your podcast. Everyone should listen to. The oh my podcast. god! You've had some amazing oh guests, including William Shatner, David Duchovny, like just heroes. It um, was some great musicians. How did you manage? I was unwell. <laughs> I was not okay. I hope you're listening. I was was come join us here for the next episode. Yeah, I was just like David Duchovny. If you are listening, I really was doing my best to keep it together. Um, I'm sure you did. You're very professional. I uh, like Nietzsche came up. It was great. Um, But I was at the time. 
uh, there was construction on the home I was living in. And so I was subletting at a friend's place. And that was the first podcast I recorded there. So I, I was like, I don't even know what's behind me. And he was asking me about like the things on the shelves and like all this stuff. And I'm like, bro, I'm not even in my house. <laughs> And he was like, where are you? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I think that just the fact that I rolled in being like medium unhinged, (laughs) like really worked in my favor. Medium unhinged, like you didn't have time to freak out. Pretty much. I was just like, okay, this is what's happening. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, this seems like a good time to ask this question since I very um, unhingedly uh, segued us into that. Excellent. Um, what you cover on your podcast is this sort of like embracing of multitudes, like yes. of these that we can have so many layers of ourselves. Um, and this isn't just specific to us ADHD folks, but I would say there's a big intersection of, yes. of many interests. <laughs> yes. But on here on the podcast, um, the whole podcast was kind of founded on this idea of multitudes, right? Yes. To be a slut and, a, and scholar, a scholar. That you could be any kind of professional and still like to fuck. So, um, I just is- nodded enthusiastically for those not watching yes. the video. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does this kind of mean to you about this? Um, I don't know, having many layers, having multitudes, because I know you're a therapist and a musician and a podcaster yes. and, and all these things. Like, tell me about the layers and, and maybe the intersection of. Of the thing, neuro spiciness. Yes, the brain spice. Um, yeah, I was thinking when you said that that one of the most popular episodes that was one of my personal favorites, where I also was really struggling to keep it together, was when I interviewed Tori Amos, oh, who wow. she's why I'm a musician. Um, so it was very much like if you had told me I had to stop doing literally everything else in my yeah, life Pam at that was point. So excited! Oh my god, there was a 15 year old me that. Yep. She, she was, she was, she's in another realm now. <laughs> like, it was interesting because in that experience, one, I was like, okay, I am at a place in my life where I can talk to this person. And if you had told me never podcast again, I'd be like, okay, I did it. I did the thing. Yeah. Um, but what was so interesting to me is in publishing that, like she has really vehement fans and I love that yeah. about her fans, but um, a lot of people were responding to that podcast saying like that they could tell that the interviewer, aka me, clearly was so into Tori and like really was having a genuine conversation and they really liked that. The other most popular kind of comment was a lot of people saying how weird it was that we were laughing. Because I was laughing. We all know I have like an immortal bog witch cackle. Like, <laughs> we don't all know. <laughs> now you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I I am very small and my laugh is very big. Um, and Tori was laughing too, but it was so interesting to me that people were like, oh, women laughing? Really? And being smart? You cannot laugh and be smart and be a lady. Who was saying this? People on YouTube. It was very strange. And oh. I noticed it coming up on some of my other episodes where people are like, wow, she's so smart and yet laughs. And I, and I was thinking to myself, it's a podcast about having a, a, a multi-passionate identity and you are thinking that someone cannot be intelligent and also laugh? Hmm. Why would those be mutually exclusive? Mm. Um, and so like thinking about what you said, like I feel like the different areas of my life yeah. do 
inform each other. I feel like each part of my life does inform the other part and they are all parts of creative expression and in different parts of my life or different seasons of my life, mm-hmm. different things take precedence or kind of center stage. Yeah. But for instance, I I even started that podcast because I felt weird in the therapy world talking about music and I felt weird in the music world talking about therapy because there was this dichotomy of, well, you can't really want to be a musician if you're a therapist and you can't really want to be a therapist if you're a musician or you're an amateur at one or the other or you don't really like those. Mm. And I thought that was so strange. I was like, but what if I do like them? And I would say I like... And you can also intersect them. Yeah. There's yeah. so much healing from music and um, people do music therapy and it's really great for all sorts of things like trauma and anxiety and yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And I feel like being in the arts and being an expressive person, like that helps me be a better therapist. And yeah. as a therapist and person in therapy, because that's how we roll, makes me a better musician and writer. Yeah. Like, I'm like, why would those be mutually exclusive? Mm-hmm. So that to me was kind of confusing. Um, So I was like, there's got to be other people who do this. And then we all were very inside. And I discovered there were a lot of people (laughs) um, because everyone hopped on Zoom with me Mm -hmm. and chatted on my podcast. It was great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Though it is really weird if you rewind to like 2019, you're like, Pam, you're going to talk to Tori Amos and David Duchovny through your computer about their lives. I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? I'm going to do what? It's with pretty what cool. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, so when you're not talking to um, Tori Amos and David Duchovny through your computer, it sounds like you're having like an episode. I, I, like, there's actually no podcast. Yeah. Pam just thinks she's talking to think Tori ta- Amos through her computer. <laughs> I literally, when it was happening, I kept being like, this is real. I am here now. Like I kept it, like, what is real? <laughs> I kept physically grounding myself like sensorily because I was like, how is this happening? Yeah. (laughs) So when you're not talking to people that aren't there through your computer, um, you also host groups and things for neurodivergent folks. I do. Um, What are some other ways that you are seeing things like ADHD show up for people? Um, Maybe femme specifically. Yes. Because you talked earlier about how it it does show up differently for different um, populations. Yes. For femmes, how are you seeing it show up? A lot of times I see it show up as what presents to other therapists as maybe a mood disorder, Mm. particularly anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of different expectations in our culture for not not all people who are raised as as girls, um, but for a lot that there's a different set of expectations of behavior and it puts pressure on people in such a way that it then gets expressed as anxiety because say your home is a reflection of you or your appearance is a reflection of you, like your worth as a person. If you have trouble organizing that due to executive dysfunction, you're going to think you're a bad person if you're not able to consistently at a certain level present your home or your or yourself mm-hmm. in a certain way. And you might get really anxious about remembering all the steps to do that. Yeah. Or you might get anxious about people seeing you or seeing your home as a result mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, if I'm not this certain thing, mm-hmm. even if it's you know not necessarily even coded femme, um, well, and I also see it presenting as anxiety and stuff as well, because for femme folks, there's sort of this concept of masking. Yes. And so in addition to maybe experiencing ADHD or other neurodiversity stuff, there's also this 
thing in our culture where we're taught as like femme people to be good hostesses mm-hmm. and to, you know, not rock the boat too much, not bring things up too much. And so there's this early learning of like seeming to have it all together. Yes. And so yes. if someone's doing that behind the scenes, eventually you're going to burn out yeah. because there's a lot of extra energy that goes into making it look like it's easy. So for a lot of us femmes, we don't get diagnosed until much later because we did a hell of a good job, you know, masking it for a long time, but then just steam ran out. <laughs> I was going to say, it's usually when something like structural changes, like I see a lot of people coming in when either like the transition from say, like high school to college. I got diagnosed in college. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Or like, um, like college to workforce or like grad school to workforce or when people have children and all of a sudden there's a whole other set of demands put on you. Um, especially because even amongst my friends who have very egalitarian relationships, society still perceives the femme bodied person as the default parent I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that puts, (laughs) I've noticed we've all noticed. I I made a casual observation. (laughs) 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 I'm now just twitching out of rage. It's fine. I'm fine. Um, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, but yeah, I've seen that that's when people come in because all of a sudden either you've burnt out or the things structurally that were kind of facilitating that mask have fallen away and you're like, ah, Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes that can present as depression because then it leads to people wondering like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. What am I doing wrong? How come everyone else is fine? And Yes. Yes. Why is this so easy for everyone else? Or is everyone else hiding how hard it is? Um, and I'm just bad at hiding it. Like, am I morally wrong somehow? Yeah. I see a lot of that where it's like, it's a personalization of the, I don't know how to describe it other than like of the, of some of the differences, but it's, it's internalized in a, in a way that's shame. Yeah. A lot of shame. Yeah. And so I see a lot of that coming in and I'm like, oh no. And then I see it relationally where, like you said, where it's the kind of, I mean, it's not like we're always encouraged to be like demure, but there's that image of too much. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're too intense, you're too loud, your emotions are too big. Like mm-hmm. there's there's that too muchness mm-hmm. that then gets squooshed down. Um, but then you feel like your interactions are very inauthentic because you're like, well, if I show people all of me, they're going to say I'm too much. But since I'm not really revealing a lot of myself, I feel very lonely. Mm-hmm. So it's this push-pull. Yeah. So you see it also presenting as lo- anxiety, as loneliness. Yeah. As shame. Yeah. And that comes in with a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think so many more people are connecting with this lately. Do you think there's like an over-categorization of um, people? And does that really matter if someone's like resonating with this these symptoms? Yeah. I mean, I... I've thought about this a lot recently, especially it's funny that you said TikTok. I've been musing on this a lot that when you asked me, like, what is neurotypical? I don't really think there is neurotypical. I Mm -hmm. think that there's just kind of a a neurotype that currently is the dominant one in our culture. Like, it's the one that our culture is organized around. Yeah. I mean, when we say typical, right, I think of like... I don't know. I, I guess it would be hard to object, uh, objectify. <laughs> it would be hard to like objectively categorize that because on one hand, I think of like, okay, it's the within the whatever standard deviation of the norm or what some statistical term yes. that I can't remember yes. from my grad school um, of like, what is, you know, what do most people experience? But I yeah. don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's like a culturally created ideal. Yes. I don't know who created that, but it's... 
reflective of the culture in which you live. Yes. Typical to whatever the culture is saying is the norm. Yes. Hey, slutty scholars, do you need a pleasure pause? Try reading or listening to a short, sexy story from our sponsors at Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of hot stories that bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is generously offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. Whenever I need a pleasure pause, I browse what's new on Dipsy or go to a classic favorite. Also, depending on your mood, they even have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions and even stories you can read. Remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A dipsystories.com slash s and s dipsystories.com slash s and s and don't forget to nourish yourself either as part of your pleasure pause or after your pleasure pause check out the meals from our sponsors at green chef go to greenchef.com slash scholars 60 and use code scholars 60 to get 60 percent off plus free shipping green chef makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle and if you're listening to this episode we talk a lot about adhd and neuro diversity. One of the ways that ADHD folks struggle with is around food, Uh, remembering to eat, finding foods we like, finding new foods we like when those other ones get tired. So for me, having help with food and meal planning and delivery is key. I am actually just about to re-up my meal plans because I have really been struggling to make time for grocery shopping. Green Chef has 50 plus weekly menu items that you can choose from with the option to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box without changing your plan. I especially love their 10-minute lunches. Uh, Each week's menu includes two convenient low-prep and nutritious lunch recipes that are ready in just 10 minutes. No cooking required. Perfect for when you're on the go or pressed for time at the office. Go to greenchef.com slash scholars60 and use code scholars60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com dot com slash scholars sixty six zero and use code scholars sixty to get sixty percent off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. And I feel like we've seen neurodiversity throughout time. I mean, like think about you but know, so many of us aren't functioning. That's the problem. So, is like, that why not- is it typical <laughs> if we, no one can if, fucking if, function? If we no can do function. <laughs> I know my audio got too loud there, but it's loud. <laughs> it's it is okay. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, about I, the goblin. <laughs> we got a case of the, the goblins goblin here. We got, we got a goblin. Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love this. Um, I think of like uh, like functioning and also the medicalization of it. I feel like instead of diagnosis, I would prefer it if it were just a description where we are just describing different ways of being without being like one of these is the right way, one of these is the wrong way. Yeah. And one of these, you know, in a way, like the only time that I'm like, oh, take medication is it's like, but I don't even take it every day because it frustrates me when I want to work on a creative project that I'm so excited about mm-hmm. and I can't even... Can't even. 
I can't even. I have a whiteboard that I write things that I enjoy doing on because this was I on will it. Forget yeah. it was on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you saw podcast. We're gonna check it, it off after. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, like, because it's not that I'm not excited about it. It's just my brain doesn't hold on to it, and that frustrates me. I want my brain to hold on to it. Yeah. But do and you think so, it frustrates you because? there's so many expectations of us of where like the time in which we need to complete things. Because I Hmm. wonder if, I mean, I'm just thinking now about like medication and for those who don't know right now, like ADHD medication is like under immense pressure. That's that's a whole rant. It's a whole, well, we can rant about it. I'm Um, excited. Things like Adderall, things like Vyvanse for some understandable reasons, because there are some people who are misusing it. Correct. Um, They are like hard to come by right now. A lot more people are needing it and the companies aren't making it. And there's a lot more details there that you can definitely, I'm sure, fill in some of the gaps I was going to say, very exciting. Have read many an article about it's in some ways a manufactured shortage. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks, DEA, if you're listening. Love that for us. Maybe change things there. Um, Because the problem is not we are making medication. The problem is that we do not have good systems in place for actually helping people find the right medication and also controlling, for instance, people scamming the system. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing is, for instance, I picked up my medication last month um, and my pharmacy had had the wrong birthday on file for an entire year. And I show them my license every time I get my medication. They did not notice until last month. I know someone who went in to get their monthly 30 pills of Adderall. Guess how many they got? Mm, 10. Three. (gasps) I hate this for us. And for people who like need that. Yeah. It's life shattering. That's a, yeah, that's, that's the thing is like, I feel very, very, very fortunate that I'm very sensitive to it. And so I, I'm actually on a child's dose. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For, you can't really see it, but Pam is a smaller I'm a human. small person. Um, but, and I, like I said, I don't use it every day. And for me, what I analogize it to is it's like, it's like glasses mm-hmm. form my brain. Yeah. Can I do stuff without glasses? Yeah. Is it blurry? Yeah. But here's my thing. Like, (laughs) I'm glad that we have it and that it's out there to help people like executively function in the world that we live in. And if we weren't embracing the typical way of being, I do think a lot less people would need it because the things that we expect from being a human, we wouldn't need these superhuman medications to help us function as much. Yes. Like, yes, maybe you would still need or want the glasses. And if it wasn't expected of us to have to like be so overly productive and yes. do this, do that, be the yes. best at this, do these things. And and then also take care of your house and your relationship and your animals and the plants and also brush your teeth and shower and bathe and see clients. And you know, it's endless. Like if yes. we didn't, Oh, and not to mention like, <laughs> I'm going to go for a minute, not to mention <laughs> the um, amount of people that were expected to interact with and oh my hold God. in our like that's actually something for me that space. it helps so much yeah. with i hadn't realized that i it's not sounds weird to say i space out but it's like i am so much better at holding on to conversational threads with people and being able to feel regulated in my body so that i can attend to other people and it's something now that i've learned to do even when i'm not on the medication. And that for me is also another thing that I love about 
frankly, that I love about the medication is it's enabled me to access tools Mm -hmm. and access ways of being that I wasn't able to experience prior. So even now when I'm not on the medication, I know what that experience feels like in my body so I can more easily reach for it. But if we weren't expected to do all these things, would we need the medication is my wondering. I don't know. I mean, I... Because then it would be like more normal to... And then the shame spiral wouldn't happen. And then... In some ways, but like when I'm working on my music, like even if it's not music that I'm making for someone else, like or publishing, there are times when I get frustrated because I feel like I'm in like a liminal area and I can't jump myself out of it. Like I don't have like an on-ramp to something. Mm. And so it's for me, and I don't know if other people experience this. For me, Like even in a vacuum, it might still. Yeah, where it's like, I would probably take it less frequently. Mm -hmm. But there are some days, especially like, at some points of my cycle, particularly, I, you know, they've been doing studies about how different points of like the menstrual cycle affect. Well, that makes sense because it affects your hormones, which is going to affect other things like your mood and focus and memory. Yeah. And like, there are some days where even with the medication, like I kind of rank days as like red, yellow, green, Mm -hmm. where it's like a green day. I have access to like all of my skills, all zones. We are going well. (laughs) Can you tell we're into kink? (laughs) Right. Red, yellow, green. Red, yellow, green. Yellow days, I'm like, well, we kind of got this. And red days, I'm like, we are doing our best. (laughs) And that's good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like there are certain areas of my life that, you know, I can kind of let fall by the wayside. But there are others that regardless of, I would say, outside narratives, I I like to engage with those things. And when my own brain chemistry is stopping me from doing that, it is so frustrating. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand what that was for the longest time because I was very late diagnosed for the longest time. It was like a running quote joke that I was not neurotypical until it was a therapist that in grad school was like, that's not a joke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now it's a joke again. Exactly. I'm like, "Mm, that's funny. And then it wasn't until my late 30s that I tried medication. Yeah. um, And honestly, like, we don't get to the end of life and get a gold star for doing it the hard way. No one, when you die, is like, congratulations, you raw dogged life. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I guess we don't know, but I'm hoping maybe there it doesn't. Is. Yeah. <laughs> There's just like some bro on the other side who's like, bro, bro, <laughs> bro, bro. <laughs> you did it like you the really so hard, hard way. So hard. <laughs> You dog dogged it so hard. Remember all those times you like shaved one leg and not the other? That was hardcore. (laughs) Remember all those times you wet knuckled it and almost burnt out and killed yourself on the way? Good job, bro. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good game. Good game. Good game. Because that's how I feel. GG. Good game. GG. GG. Yeah, like, because I do think, you know, in some ways, I, I do feel that people certainly abuse medication, but in other ways, like, to, to stigmatize it is, like, to go to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, why would you take away a tool from people that can be, like, utterly life-changing, both in the context of our culture and outside? But I think, like, our culture is geared towards yeah. this particular neurotype. Like, I think about monks. Those people were not—they weren't neurotypical. Bros were sitting around wearing the same clothes every day, eating the same thing every day, writing the same thing on paper every day. Interesting take. Interesting take. <laughs> like, if that is not autism, I do not know what is. <laughs> like, that are like, please don't speak to me. I am writing the letter B for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 
That is a hot take I might have to chat with some of my clients about. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> Maybe you need to join a monastery and this will be acceptable behavior. Yes. Yes, you stay in the same room. You wear the same thing. You do the same thing every day. Everything is very... Yeah. You're, you're vibing on that. Interesting. And thing. so we had structures for this elsewhere. Think about, like, the jobs that people used to do. Like, imagine the person who was just like, I churn butter. What do you do? All day, I churn butter. And you're like, great, we need a lot of butter. Great. We, we have the non-talking butter churner. Mm-hmm. But there were places for people in society who were just like, oh, that's your vibe? Yeah, go churn the butter. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Yeah. And we don't now have the that. place for us is therapy. Exactly. And now we're just like, we can be creative. <laughs> and so, and we don't have that. Whereas, you know, and of course you had like people who are like, I'm going to be a merchant and explore the world. And it's like, where are you going? Do you have a map? Not at all. And I'm just like, oh, that's ADHD. <laughs> so there were different ways of, in a, in a way, kind of not accommodating because you don't have to accommodate something that already is just accepted mm. whereas now we have to in a way seek accommodation and accommodations yeah, yeah as opposed to having more kind of built-in roads right um i mean i'm just thinking back um because i think we were talking about the red yellow green and yes how it's more normalized in certain populations obviously there is a big intersection between kink and yes. neurodiversity yeah why do you think that is <laughs> Um, I think because we are not as invested in, like, one script of things Mm. is one of the ideas I've had. Um, also, novelty. We love it. The dopamine novelty hit. Yes. Yes. Um, it involves... The creativity. The creativity, the sensory. The sensory. The, you know, kind of the fantasy element can also bring in more of, like, the imagination and mental stimulation. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and also for, for more of the touch of the tism, like a lot of it, <laughs> I said that earlier in the bathroom. <laughs> when she was talking to Tori Amos. Like, <laughs> I'm fine. Um, <laughs> Why are laughing. they laughing? We're laughing, but we're smart. Oh my God, what a and terrifying slutty. dichotomy. And slutty, how will they manage? How will they manage? <laughs> I was thinking about um, kind of like, especially in like in DS situations and things like that protocol. Um, and even within certain kink structures, there is an expected course of behavior and outcome, which can be extremely soothing mm-hmm. because there's almost like a scripting you can follow yeah. that could be very comforting to someone mm-hmm. and could actually make them feel more at ease and more able to tap into their desire because it is in some ways... The protocol is predictable. You yeah. you do thing A and thing B happens. Mm-hmm. That is very nice, especially like I think about like with ADHD, like with rejection sensitive dysphoria. Oh, describe that for folks who don't know. So RSD is basically an intense emotional or physical reaction to oftentimes perceived rejection. It's not always actual rejection because frankly, if someone just presents like very frank actual rejection, it's not that bad. Whereas it's the perception of rejection. It's like if someone's tone slightly changes. Or like yeah. how we were talking about, oh, if I don't text back, it's because and you I'm... you can't track if someone, yeah. how they really feel. The uncer- yes, that's the, the uncertainty. uncertainty. Yeah, and the uncertainty often gets read as, oh, no, because also there is... I messed a, up, I did it wrong, everybody hates me. Yes, like we were talking about, especially with like the masking, is that like you then sometimes wonder, like, did I person incorrectly? Am I invalid? Should I go into witness protection? <laughs> <laughs> like, is it time? 
Yeah. <laughs> I want to go into alien protection, as my listeners know. Oh, my God. Alien protection. I just am always like, is it time to run away to the woods? Yeah. Do I change my name and go to the woods? Yeah. Um, and so, like, kink can really help with that. Mm. Because, one, you can inoculate yourself in some ways towards rejection. Say if you're engaging in a degradation kink, you can be like, oh. Fetishize your uh-huh. concern. Yep. Or with a praise kink, um, that's the flip side of it, where you're just like, oh, I can ameliorate my feelings of potential rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can be affirmed as a person in a sexy way. Well, and I also think in kink, like, most everything is welcome. You know, if yes. you're finding a way to do it in a consensual um harm reduction, you know, risk-aware way. Yes. And so I I do think it's already sort of on the, even though a lot of people do it, it's still considered, like, on the fringe of normal, right? And so if there's, even though most people are probably doing something kinky, but you know what I mean, it's still, like, this um, non-vanilla thing. Exactly. And so if you're already engaging in that, it's, it's like, okay, well, easier to maybe have this intersection of I'm feeling on the fringe of society in these other ways, because I don't feel neurotypical. Yes. And there was, um, I watched a video yesterday that I had read a bit about prefrontal cortex pruning. Like one does. What is um, prefrontal cortex pruning? So we've got all the fun lady synapses in the prefrontal cortex. And through the course of teenagerhood, especially, uh-huh. kind of explodes in, in basically shrubberies of synapses. Um, but then they start pruning. The reason why is that we find patterns of behavior or ways of being that just get codified. Okay. However, in autistic brains, way less pruning. Um, and pruning means like not being used or getting rid of. Or... Um, pruning means actually you are still using them. So when you then are interacting, it's um, not that you're like, oh, this must be the way the interaction must be because I only have one root for this. You might still have a whole bunch of branches for that one interaction. So you're processing all of those. Okay. And you could actually go down each of those avenues. But that's also why sometimes with especially auditory processing and speech processing, if you're going down seven avenues to a neurotypical person, say maybe two avenues. Yeah. It might take you a minute to be like, which two avenues is the person on? Because mm-hmm. you're thinking of all seven of them. Yeah. Um, and I found that so interesting and also why in some ways, because I had read about it initially with ADHD brains and then watched about autistic brains. Um, it's why sometimes we get overwhelmed more easily, but it's also why we have that almost kind of like childlike curiosity and think of like the quote, like weird ideas is because they quite literally haven't been pruned out of our brains. That's what I think that makes like, me a great therapist. Yes. Because there's these like weird, playful, interesting ideas where it's like. Let's try this. Exactly. And people are like, how did you think of that? You're like, I don't know. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and for clients who are down for that, it works really well. Exactly. Exactly. And so it, it keeps you in a state of almost like, it's not naivete, but like a bit more like child mind, not in the way yeah. of like not emotionally developed, but in the way of like a, an actual physical openness to multiple yeah. ideas. Well, just before we, like, start wrapping up, and for folks who want to dive even a little more into, like, ADHD and sex, I have an older episode with Dr. Ari Tuckman called ADHD After Dark, um, and he's got some great books and resources about, like, sex and relationships and ADHD yes. and things like that, but in a more general thing, like, let's say you're dating someone, and I don't even, I guess we can focus on ADHD because neurodiversity is so broad, and for each thing there might be, for each unique person, there's going to be unique tools. Yes. Um 
But let's say you are someone who identifies, you know, in the ways we're describing. Um, any tips for navigating relationship? Um, I would highly recommend. And these could just be things that work for us. Yes. Find for you. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, for unfortunately, whatever with ADHD, um, these change over time. That, yeah, so, that's the fun one. Yeah. <laughs> The tools start to like not be tools anymore after some time, and it's then you. It's almost like the novelty wears off. The novelty like, wears off. That's right. It's like when your favorite food stops being your favorite food because all of a sudden the texture goes wrong, and you're like, and you're like, there no, and then you have to. You yeah. find a new one though. You find Just, a new one. There's a learning curve. Yeah. So these yeah. might be the tools for now. <laughs> it, when by the time this podcast comes out, they're not the tools anymore. <laughs> but give them a try. Goodbye, tools. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the the thing I would most highly recommend is being in your own individual therapy with someone who is knowledgeable about ADHD, because the more you can, the more you can discover and embrace about yourself, the more you can communicate with your person. Yeah. Um. Because you're the expert on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that is for me like the top overriding tip is just to constantly be in, in I would say, curiosity mm-hmm. about yourself. And then in turn, be in a state of curiosity about your partner because you and your partner, if either or both of you are ADHD, yeah. you might do some stuff where occasionally you're like, ha, huh, the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And so that would that would be my number one tip. And, <laughs> and also, like, be with people that you trust have good intention. Um, so, like, see previous about you might be like, the fuck. Um, hold on to the idea that probably your partner doesn't want to hurt you. And you probably don't want to hurt your partner. Mm. There might have just been an oopsie. Yeah. Um, and so holding on to positive intent can help you hold on to that curiosity. Because then you can navigate through whatever wonky pitfall um because i've seen that when you when you lose that positive regard both for either yourself or your partner that's when things can go really sideways mm-hmm. yeah when you um, think i mean and unfortunately there are some partners who don't have good intentions that's so true that's different but yes that is a very different situation tune into some other episodes for for more on that yes um yes. yeah i mean i the way i've seen that before um with some of my clients who have some like neurodiversity or or you know learning things that come up for them is like having a partner say what they feel like is so many times how they want to be touched in a sexual way. And they feel like they've been very clear about like, this is the way I want you to play with me. And the partner like hears them, seems to get it, tries to do that. And they just keep not doing it. Yeah. If you're not aware that your partner has maybe a processing delay or has another way that they like to learn and take in new information, like watching a video you will probably just think that your partner doesn't give a fuck about your pleasure mm-hmm. and is forgetful and um, be really mad at them. I was going to say, like, if you, like, I guess that would be tip number three is, like, do not take your or your partner's neurodivergence personally. Yeah. Um, even when it can be really frustrating, it is not, it, it's frankly not about you. Yeah. Um, and so, because I, I see that a lot and I experience that, you know, in, in my partnerships where, there are certain things that, like, one, sometimes I mess up, and then I feel yeah. terrible because, like, I've messed up something that's important to my person. Yeah. Um, or I feel like my person isn't seeing me, and I remind myself, like, oh, I'm the expert on my own experience. Mm-hmm. I just need to share it maybe in a different way. And if, right. and if, you know, one way doesn't work, try another. And really, after a while, if it does become a deal breaker, like, it is what it is. Yeah. It's sad, but it's, you know, 
it is what it is. But well, and I think there's a know. line between like using it, communicating the, those things, but also not using it as an excuse. Like right. just because you're dealing with this doesn't mean you could be like, I'm never going to remember anything that's important to you because I have ADHD. Right. right? <laughs> So there's a there's a, a nice gray area in between here of yes. like assuming goodwill and acknowledging your stuff and communicating it and also putting in effort and tools to show that you are trying and willing yes. to show up for each other. Because you want to get to what I describe with my clients is you want to get to like a good enough threshold where we want to get like maybe an 80%. That's like my baseline is like, can someone get to 80%? Um, and past that, maybe they can get to 90 but no one's going to, like, nail it 100% of the time, neurotypical, yeah. neurodiverse, whatever. Like, no one's going to no one's gonna be 100. However, like, for some people, maybe 70 is a comfortable threshold. Mm-hmm. But for most people I've seen, like, that one's kind of, kind of, yeah. And then once you get below that, that's when you do start seeing people personalizing, ascribing intent. Or, frankly, there are some people who are too in their own stuff to really see the other person. And that's, yet again, when I'm like, mm-hmm. hey individual therapy can really help sort through what might be stopping you from connecting with other people in that way. If you're yeah. so in your own stuff, what's stopping, you know, what, what's going on there? Right. <laughs> um, where yet again, it's not a reflection on the other person. It's not like the other person is bad, but what's stopping you from, mm-hmm. from being able to connect? Yeah. Um, My tip that I really like is putting stuff with your partner in your to-do list. As, as you might've seen. <laughs> <laughs> and setting <laughs> alerts to do things that show connection and affection with your partner. Like, yep. even if it seems as silly as, like, text your partner to say you're thinking of them. And you don't have to tell your partner that, but set an alert in your phone. Yeah. Because if you're in hyper-focus and you don't reach out and they're trying to get in touch and you've made an agreement to connect, it's not going to happen. So set an alarm in your phone or whatever thing you yes. like to use. Um, to remind you yes, to relationship. <laughs> I, I do that frequently, um, and I recommend that to people as well, because yeah. once you're out of that, like, limerent phase where, because oftentimes, not It's always, easier then, because you're, like, hyper-focused on Exactly. You don't want to like, do anything else. Yes, you're like, mm, my cupcake, I'm the numb. Yeah. Um, but once you are out Back of... to the cupcakes. Right? <laughs> It's like maybe we should get snacks. Um, like after after that, yeah, it becomes whatever works for you. Like I personally respond really well to visual cues and kinetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like if I write something down like on my whiteboard, I've written it down and I can see it visually. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people might respond really well to like auditory reminders. So you might set like little calendar alerts or ask your phone to like you know on the calendar be like mm-hmm. bing like. Tell your partner you love them. Tell them. Send them an emoji. I can see these alerts happening while you're having sex with your partner. Don't forget to look her in the eyes (laughs) when she comes. (laughs) Remember. Stand to her soul. (laughs) Sorry, babe. Just looking at my reminders. Just looking at my reminders to (laughs) stare into your soul. (laughs) That would be amazing. You start doing that. Oh, my God. But, yeah, like, just, you know, having and practicing. That's the thing is I do find that practicing helps. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, especially in like a sexual situation or any sensory situation of any mm-hmm. kind, the more you practice what your partner likes to receive, mm-hmm. um, the better. Like there was, there was an interaction with my with my partner lately where something had upset me um, and he said, you know, oh, well, you know, it's in the genes. And I was like, I see you're trying to help. Let's try that again. And he was like, you know, you won't always feel this way. And I was like, oh, we're getting closer. And he's like... <laughs> 
That's very patient of you. Right? And I was just like, let's let's maybe try again. You're getting warmer. Um, and he's like, I'm really sorry that you're feeling this way right now. And I was like, oh, we nailed it. And he was like, do you want a hug? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, nice <laughs> doing it, trying to turn into a game show. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm just like, oh, like Vanna White. <laughs> we're not going to flip a letter for that one. Let's try again. <laughs> Nothing behind that door. Two more chances. Two more caller. chances. <laughs> Um, but the more he's practicing, because, for instance, for him, it feels really good if someone says, like, oh, you know, the future is bright. You aren't going to feel this way forever. Like uh, They're oh. in a better place. Exactly. Exactly. He's very, like, and that suits him. Whereas for me, that feels like I, I feel like I'm like, oh, but do you not see the owie now? The owie's happening right now. Yeah. And so it's a different experience. And it's like for a moment, he was reacting to me as he likes to be reacted to. Right. But I saw that and was like, oh, I see your intent. You have really good intent, but you're comforting me like you like to be comforted. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to remind you that I like to be comforted in a different way. And he's like, oh, yeah, you like to be comforted in this way. And I was like, oh, you got it. Um, and supportive. so, yeah, it's like. <laughs> way to practice what you preach to your clients. Pretty much. It was one of those moments where I was like, oh, it's this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that can be in a sexual situation, too, where it's like if you know that there are certain things that your partner likes, even if it might not be your first thought, it's okay if it's your second. Yeah. You got there. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, give yourself the grace to be like, okay, might not have been the first thing I reached for, but, like, we, we got it the second try. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then as the partner, give your partner the grace to, you know— have a do-over. Know that they're acting, for the most part, hopefully, with good intent. Like you said, there are also people that are just kind of douche canoes. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, most people yeah, either just are different or- ways to be a human. Hey, slutty scholars. Guess what? My birthday is tomorrow, Friday, June 2nd. And I want to remind you all about a free live event that I will be speaking at. My friend Katie Sampaio, founder of Thrive Life Coaching and Retreats, has gathered 10 incredible experts, including me, to share with you our best tips, tricks, and strategies to help you ignite your passion, uncover your purpose, and empower you to thrive in every single area of your life. So come celebrate with me as I talk about sex magic, aka using pleasure as a way to create the life you want and increase confidence. It's not just magic. Research shows that having a pleasure and play practice has a bunch of benefits that are necessary to our well-being and survival. If you want to learn more and dive a little deeper with me, make sure to snag your free spot at the Thriving in Purpose Masterclass tomorrow, June 2nd. I'll be speaking at this event with nine other powerful experts to teach you in just one day how to create a life filled with more purpose, joy, connection, and more. Just go to rebrand.ly slash sluts underscore scholars. Don't worry, I will have the link in the episode description, but that's rebrand.ly backslash sluts underscore scholars to register now. The link again is in the episode description, but I am excited to see you live tomorrow for my birthday on June 2nd. How can people find you, follow your work, listen to your podcast? Um, How can they find Talk to you through your computer. Oh my God, and only through my computer. So you can find most of my creative endeavors are under Pam Schaefer Creates um, because I do have different artistic personae for different musical projects because I think that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the stuff, though, Pam Schaefer Creates. Uh, you can find my therapy practice is under Best Self Psych. Um, and that is where I right now my caseload is full, but I have an incredible 
incredible team of people that actually a new person is joining our team in May, and a few more people may join in summer. It is very exciting. Um, so that's where you'll find that. Um, you'll find the podcast is Why Not Both, and most of the stuff is under Why Not Both or WNB the podcast. Right now we are on hiatus because my producer is in Japan. Um, very exciting. She's a travel writer, and she did not get to travel for several years, so she is living her best travel writer life. Um, but we are planning a new season and super exciting. Uh, my friend Devin and Dylan and I just started a new podcast called Neuro Provocateurs, mm. in which we discuss much of what we discussed here, which is pretty much the brain spice. How how would make relationship also spicy? <laughs> Excellent. And listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, again, I'm on, um, (laughs) (laughs) I've made a note staring to Nicola soul. I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. And I broke eye contact. I was just like, my eyes are watering from not blinking. And please don't forget to rate and review, preferably a nice one, and check out those advertiser discounts. Thank you so much. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.